this time, I want to dismiss our bridge kids, as elementary age students, grades K through five. Your teachers and their assistants are ready and waiting for you at the back. While they are transitioning, grab your Bibles, your phones, iPads, or whatever, and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. While you're turning there, we'll be in verses 13 through 21. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. While you're turning there, a couple of things here at the Bridge Church, we stand in honor and reverence to God's holy word. Secondly, you will see some of our people here, and I announce this because God has blessed us with new faces and new people that are part of our church family. And so one of the traditions that we practice here at the Bridge Church during the month of February for Black History Month is you, some of our people wear their Sunday best. And so uh, last week you saw me in my robe, and this week you see me in this. Um, and that's to help uh, in celebrating Black History Month. It is not a uh, requirement. It's not necessarily a request. There's just one thing that we can do to celebrate our brothers and sisters um, of African descent um, here and as was reminded to me by someone last week, this is not just for black people. This is American history that we, that we uh, remember during this time. So you're welcome to join us if you like. If not, that's fine. You won't be out of place uh, because there are some people who like, I'm not putting on any of that stuff. Stockings, pantyhose, no, no. Uh, so uh, you don't worry about it. First Peter chapter 1, verse number 13. Here's the word of the Lord. Therefore... Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. 
We're in this series on 1 Peter that we've titled Hope in a Hostile World. The Apostle Peter is writing to scattered Christians in Asia Minor, which is mostly modern-day Turkey. These Christians are facing various forms of suffering and trials from a hostile world because of their faith in Christ. So Peter writes to these Christians to encourage them to stand firm in the grace of God based on the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at the first 12 verses of 1 Peter chapter 1, wherein Peter calls his readers elect exiles. They are home, yet far away from home. They are far away from home and that their citizenship is in heaven. Let me say that again. They are far away from home. We are far away from home because our primary citizenship is in heaven. Friends, many of the problems that we have Many of, our, many of our stressors and worries come from the fact that we are trying to make this world our home. Yet Peter calls us elect exiles. Maybe the problem with the church in the world today is that we act more like this world is our home than act like citizens of heaven. Maybe, 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 I'm going off script already in my introduction. Just maybe, if we acted like our citizenship was in heaven, we wouldn't stress out about elections. Preach, Brandon, I'm going to do it. Just, just, just maybe, if we remembered that our citizenship is heaven, we wouldn't have division in the church over Republicans and Democrats and independents and libertarians and Tea Party and every other thing. Because, listen, I ride or die for King Jesus. Let me get back on text here. So he's writing to these suffering exiles. And he tells them in the first section that we looked at last week, he says, I want you to praise God because he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And that inheritance is being kept in heaven by God himself. And so after this Thanksgiving section in verses 3 through 12, he now moves to exhorting his people how to actually live in a hostile world. And friends, this section, verses 13 through 21 and the rest of the book, is not just for those first century Christians, 
but it's just as applicable to us today. As friends, we live in a world that is hostile to the Christian faith. So let's learn from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21, how we ought to live in the midst of a hostile world. First of all, Peter says that if we're going to live in the midst of a hostile world, first, we have to set our hope fully on future grace. Set our hope fully on future grace. Verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 13 begins with the word, therefore. And as I've told you before, anytime you are reading and studying Scripture and you see the word therefore in Scripture, you should go back and see what it is there for. So Peter is saying that based on everything I've said up to this point, which is that you should bless God because he has caused us to be born again to a living hope at the revelation of Christ, he says, I want you to, in light of that, I want to tell you how to live in the present. How then should we live? That's the point of the rest of the book. The main verb in verse 13 is set your hope. It's one word in the original language. It's in the imperative mood. It is a command. Peter's direction for his readers and for us is to put all of our hope completely, fully, and unreservedly in the grace that Jesus Christ is going to bring when he returns. He says, set your hope fully. Friends, we are oftentimes tempted and do put our hope in other futile objects other than Christ. If you want to escape poverty, you set your hope upon education as a way out. If you live in a war-torn country, you may be tempted to set your hope on immigrating to another safer country to find peace. Perhaps you're a single mother, and in your desire to be cared for and protected, you put your hope in finding a good man to solve your problem, or you marry rich. If you recently received a serious medical diagnosis, you put your hope in the modern medicine or a particular doctor. Now, none of these things are bad things. They're good. The problem is that oftentimes we make good things God things, and they become our greatest goal. That greatest goal then becomes our greatest hope. And Peter says that should never be the case for the Christian because we set our hope fully, completely, and unreservedly in Christ alone. Peter says specifically, we should set our hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Christ. This grace that he's referring to, that's what I call future grace. God showing unmerited favor toward us 
and sending his son a second time to make all things right. So he says, I want you to fix your gaze completely on this hope. But how do we do this? How do we set our hope fully on future grace? Peter tells us at the beginning of verse 13, he says, first, we are to prepare our minds for action. Listen to how the original language literally reads. Here's how it reads. Therefore, girding up the loins of your minds. Now, what's happening is Peter is speaking figuratively here. He's referring to the ancient Near East style of dress where men would wear long robes. And when strenuous activity was necessary, they would tuck the robe underneath the belt to provide maximum freedom of movement. It, it, it's like us saying now, all right, it's time to roll up our sleeves and move to our new location. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The idea here is that you have to prepare for action. So what Peter is saying, in light of the future grace of the return of Christ and all the blessings he's going to bring, get ready. Stay ready. And since thoughts precede actions, Peter says, get your mind right. Get your mind ready. And you do that by getting rid of anything that is encumbering or entangling. Get rid of anything that will hinder you from being ready for the return of Christ. Furthermore, not only are we, do we set our hope fully by, being, uh, uh, by preparing our minds for action, but we also set our hope fully on Christ by being sober-minded. He says, and be sober. Peter's not referring to simply being free of alcohol. Don't say amen too loud. What he means by being sober-minded, he's saying you need to be self-controlled. You need to be unintoxicated with the cares of this life and the various allurements of this world. So. To be sober-minded is to be on high alert. It means that we don't get caught off guard or surprised by the return of Christ. Beloved, what would our daily lives look like if we constantly thought about the imminent return of Christ? Maybe if we thought about the return of Christ regularly, we would be better stewards of our time. Maybe if we talk about the return of Christ daily, we would refrain from certain sinful actions. Have you, have you ever thought about what Jesus might catch us doing if he came back at any time? So people who have fully set their hope on future grace stay mentally ready for the return of Christ and stay on high alert for his imminent return. So Peter says, the way we live in the midst of a hostile world is to set our hope fully on future grace. 
Secondly, he says, we also need to live holy lives in the midst of a hostile world. That's verses 14 through 16. He says, I want you to be holy in all of your conduct. Friends, notice that future hope affects our present conduct. Future hope affects our present conduct. Hope, beloved, is not just a feeling. Hope has ethical implications. Hope, then, is a way of life. But what does holy conduct look like, then? Verse 14, he says, as obedient children, I like this phrase, by calling us children, he's bringing back to remembrance what we learned last week in verse 3. Remember, he said, he opens verse 3, that Thanksgiving session, with these words, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again. So he's bringing about, bringing back this image of this father-child relationship. Peter is saying, since you've been born again, God is your father, we are his children, thus we have received his spiritual DNA by means of the Holy Spirit. And a major part of that DNA is holiness. Thus, as children born of our Heavenly Father, we ought to bear the family resemblance. When BJ was a baby, I've told you this before, but I remind you again, when BJ was a baby, I was often, when I would go home, they would say, Woo, there's no way you can deny that boy. He looks just like you. He's not as good looking now. <laughs> I was just talking to my uncle uh, a few, a couple of months ago. He said, man, it was so good to see BJ. He's so big. He looked just like you. He said, I spoke to him. I said something. He had that Brandon Reddick smile. There's a family resemblance. And it ought to be said of the child of God that you look just like your daddy. When they observe our conduct, our behavior, our way of life, our countercultural lifestyle, it ought to be said, you look just like your father. So then, as children, we have a duty and a responsibility to obey our heavenly father. We obey our father first, verse 14, by not being conformed to the passions of our former ignorance. When Peter says former ignorance, he's referring to their pre-Christian days. He says, don't be conformed to the desires of the days when you were not saved and had not been born again. And this is a needed word for the church today. Friends, the culture is always putting pressure to mold us into its image. It's a sad indictment on the church that we look so much like the world. Rather than conforming to the world, Peter says in verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, 
you also be holy in all your conduct. Beloved, there is no area of our lives that doesn't demand holiness. All of our conduct should be holy. There is no sacred, secular distinction for the believer. All of it is holy. We are to be set apart from the world and dedicated to God. That's what it means to be holy. Set apart from the world and dedicated to God. How we conduct ourselves in this world reveals to whom we are dedicated. Peter says, you ought to be holy, not just because you're a child of God who has inherited his spiritual DNA, but this is just a matter of obedience. The Father has said, be holy, because I am holy. So we ought to set our hope on future grace as we live in the midst of a hostile world. We're also to live holy lives in the midst of a hostile world. But thirdly, verses 17 through 21, he says, you need to live in the fear of God. Live in hope. Live holy lives. Live in fear. Verse 17, and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. Peter argues to his readers that since God is your father who judges impartially, we should conduct ourselves with fear. But what does it mean to live in fear? Peter is not saying that we should necessarily be afraid of God or live in terror of God. No, by fear, we should live in awe of our holy God. But friends, sometimes we talk about this reverential awe, but we leave out the part that there ought to be some holy dread. Friends, it is a dangerous thing to be in the presence of a holy God. Why? Because he's holy and we are not. And nothing unholy can be in the presence of a holy God. It has to be cast away from his holy presence. Friends, what we deserve is the judgment of God or the wrath of God. But we don't have to be fearful of judgment to hell because we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus has taken God's wrath on himself on our behalf. Thus, because of the blood of the Lamb, we don't live in fear of judgment. Our future is secure. We look forward to life with God in heaven because of Jesus. However, our works here on the earth will still be judged by God. Peter says, friends, you need to live in light of the judgment seat of Christ one day. And he's going to look back over your life and look over your works, your deeds, your actions, and they will be judged, not based on punishment, but for the sake of reward. This idea of fear. 
Martin Luther talked about there being a servile fear and a filial fear. Servile fear, he says, is unchristian. This is the kind of fear that the slave has towards his master. Because the slave fears what the uh, master will do to him if he doesn't please the master. So he works or fears his master based on the punishment that may come. He says, but there is a filial fear, a family-type fear. This, this is the child who fears his parents, not because of punishment, but because he doesn't want to displease his parents. This is the type of fear that the Christian is to have towards their holy God. Not only should we live in fear while on earth because we face a future judgment of our works, he says, but you ought to live in the fear of God every day because of the enormous and infinite cost of our redemption. Look at verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Friends, our salvation came at the ultimate cost. Our salvation was purchased not with money, not with silver or gold. Those things perish. Silver and gold lose value. They are finite. Our redemption was purchased with something that would never lose value. The blood of Christ has infinite value. Friends, our redemption cost Jesus, God's only son, his life. Peter's argument is that given at how costly our redemption is, we ought to conduct ourselves with holy fear while here on the earth. I close. This is a real close. It's not a Baptist close. But the story of a little boy who fell in love with golf. His parents gave him a club, and a wiffle-type golf ball, which he could hit around the backyard. One day, thinking his parents were not at home, he was overcome with the temptation to feel the hit of a real golf ball against the club. So he took a real golf ball, teed it up, and gave it a hard whack. Problem was that the ball was not hit properly. It hooked from its intended flight and went directly through one of the windows of the house with a loud crash. Even worse, the crash was followed by a piercing scream. 
the boy ran into his house, burst into the living room, and to his horror, saw his mother standing in front of that broken window with blood streaming down her face. He cried out, Mom, I could have killed you. His mother hugged him and reassuringly said, it's all right, I'm okay. That young boy, once he got older, said, when I saw my mother bleeding, there were some things I could never do again in the backyard. He said, I could not, I could never so much as carry a golf club across the lawn of our backyard. Just the sight of her standing there with blood slowing down, blood that I caused, changed my behavior forever. Come here, friends. When the blood ought to change our behavior forever. Every day that we live, you ought to think of Jesus Christ on the cross with blood streaming down with nails in his hands, blood that you caused because it was for your sin that he hung on the cross. And there you ought to see him with blood streaming down and saying, there's some things I will never do again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ, our Redeemer and our Savior whose blood was shed on our behalf so that we might be forgiven for our sin. God, may the blood motivate us to forever live holy lives. God, help us every day to live in light of the coming return of Christ. Help us to daily think about our soon-coming Savior and King. And help us, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to set our hope fully on Christ and his future grace that he's bringing for us. So, we wait. We wait on you. Because you are coming soon. We wait. And so our prayer is, Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. Father, we wait in Christ's name.